What a great time of year. How many of you are excited for Christmas this week? Kids, I see several hands. Yeah, there are several kids who are ready for that. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think those are probably the most famous Christmas gifts that have ever been given, don't you think? We read about them in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11. Of course, you know the story that wise men from the east came carrying gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they presented them to Jesus as He was there in the manger. Of course, we know that the occasion that brought this all on was the advent. It was the first advent of Jesus Christ, or it was the first time that He had physically come to earth, His very first arrival. And in this case, it was in the form of a tiny little human infant. And those three gifts that were recorded as having been given to him that day, of course, have been memorialized by the many nativity scenes that you see as you're out driving through town. You know the picture, the wise men, of course, standing there around the manger, the wise men bringing those gifts because they felt that they were appropriate gifts for such an occasion as this. They thought that they were gifts that were appropriate for a king. Who knows what they would have brought if Christ had been born during our generation? Can you imagine some of the things that might have been laid at the feet of Jesus at that time? But as you think about it, I mean, we are obviously in the middle of the largest, the longest, and the most expensive celebration in the Western world. Christmas, right? The most elaborate, the most expensive celebration known to the Western world. There is nothing that even comes close to it. There is nothing quite like it. I mean, when you think about it, it really is amazing that the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago has set all that you are seeing all around you this morning in motion. And even though the world tries to take Jesus Christ out of it, The truth of the matter is that the celebration grows year after year. It seems that every year the celebration gets bigger and bigger and more elaborate and more expensive. I know that it definitely starts earlier every year. Was it Halloween? Was it Halloween? Maybe even a little bit before Halloween this year? I think the problem is that we confuse the historical reality of the birth of Jesus Christ sometimes, don't we? I think we confuse the historical reality of the occasion of the birth of Jesus Christ by introducing things like Santa Claus and and reindeer and all of the dumb songs that we sing. Some of them really are just inane. But still, the reason that it all began is the very first advent. The reason that it all began is the first coming of the Son of the Almighty God. Think about that for a moment. Let that sink into your minds. I mean, the world has literally created its most extravagant, the world has created its most expensive celebration around that event that occurred 2,000 years ago. They love to celebrate the holiday They love to celebrate this occasion which is born from the first advent or the first coming of Jesus Christ. The entire world loves to celebrate it regardless of their religious background. But as significant as the first advent was, I want you to understand that equally or even more significant is going to be the second advent of Jesus Christ. And so today, I'd like to share with you a two-part series called the Advent of Jesus Christ. And what I would like to do this morning, if you'll allow me to do that, is to begin our series this morning with part two. And then when we come together in a couple of days for Christmas Eve, 
Tuesday at 4 o'clock, we're going to consider the first Advent. We're going to look at part one. But I want you to think about this. To celebrate the first Advent, there is extravagant celebration, isn't there? To celebrate the first Advent, there are music and singing. There are ugly sweaters and there are white elephants. Who are our winners this year of the ugly sweater contest? Any winners in here? Okay. Kristen and Donnie. Donnie won. She typically is is in the running. It, It did not have my face on it, did it? Okay, all right, so no face of Scott this year for the winning sweater. But think about this. To celebrate the first Advent, we have music and singing, we have ugly sweaters, we have white elements. It's a huge party, isn't it? But friends, I want you to know that at the second Advent of Christ, there will not be a party. There will not be extravagant spending. There will not be joyous singing. In fact, the Bible says that all commerce, all business will cease when he comes the second time. It will be the absolute end of everything. The Bible says there will be no more music. There will be no more singing. There will be no more joy. There will be no more celebration the next time he comes. First coming of Christ is a sentimental thing in our minds, isn't it? Think back fondly. Of all the great days of celebration over the years in which we've gathered together with our families, maybe we remember what it was like to celebrate as little children. Believe it or not, I still sometimes do that. And it just gives me this warm, sentimental feeling in my heart. Have any of you done that? Do you remember celebrating Christmas as little children? And the warm feeling that you get as you think back to your mother and your father and the Christmas tree and all of these great things. Maybe you remember what it was like to celebrate. Maybe you remember having family gathered around. And there's a warm, sentimental feeling. But the second advent of Christ will not be something that brings a warm and sentimental feeling to the hearts of men and women across the world. There will be no warm, sentimental feelings. You see, the world loves to celebrate the story of a cuddly little baby in a manger. But friends, hear me. Jesus Christ is no longer a cuddly little baby. Jesus Christ is no longer the baby who is in the manger. And unfortunately, the world is not at all interested in embracing the little baby Jesus as he is today. The world is not interested in celebrating him as King of Kings and of Lord of Lords. They are only interested in celebrating him as a cuddly little baby. Today, he's the sovereign Lord. Today, He is the sovereign king of kings who is coming in power and who is coming in glory out of the sky to judge the entire world. And you can be absolutely certain that it's going to happen. You can be absolutely sure that it's going to happen. He's coming a second time. John 14, Jesus told his disciples, I will come again. I will come back. I will come again. And in Acts 1, As those who had gathered to watch him ascend into heaven stood looking upward, there was an angel who appeared in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11 and said, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Listen, friends, physically, literally, historically, just as he came the first time, he is going to come a second time. You must be sure of that. First time. He came as a baby to save sinners. The second time, he will not come as a baby. He will come in full deity. He will come in his full glory to judge sinners who have refused to believe in him and to establish his earthly kingdom. That's why he's coming the second time. Did you know that the Bible tells 
the story of his second advent in just as much detail and maybe even more as it does his first advent. Did you know that? In fact, the most dramatic revelation concerning the second advent of Jesus Christ comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. I want to show you what I mean. I want to take you to Luke chapter 21. And to set the context here, the disciples had asked the question, what will be the signs of your coming? What will be the signs that you're going to be coming back? What should we be looking for? And Jesus said, beginning in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting, listen, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and great glory. There will be signs in the sky. There will be signs on the earth The other Gospels speak of it. The book of Revelation speaks of it very clearly. Literally, friends, there is a devastating reorganization of the entire universe as you know it that is going to occur. It will affect the stars. It will affect the sun. It will affect the moon. It will affect all of the heavenly bodies. It is going to affect this planet. It's going to affect the fresh water. It will affect the salt water. It will affect plant life, animal life, and of course it will affect human life. It affects the seasons. It will affect day. It will affect night. It affects the growth of plants, the growth of food, absolutely everything. The star that led the wise men to the little manger of Jesus Christ in the first advent will be absolutely nothing compared to the signs that are going to accompany His second advent and His second coming. And He is going to come a second time. As surely as He came the first time, friends, He is going to come the second time. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 40, Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You see, the problem for us is that we become so busy with our lives that we don't even think about it, do we? When was the last time you thought about the second coming of Jesus Christ? What do you think of more often, the first coming or the second coming of Jesus Christ? When was the last time that you paused to consider that? And I want you to know that that's exactly what the religious leaders of the days of his first advent had done. They knew what the scripture said about him. They knew what the scripture said about his birth. They knew where he was to be born. They knew about his lineage. They knew all of the facts intellectually, but they were so busy living their lives that they missed his first coming. Do you understand that? They missed his first coming. They knew all of the facts. In fact, they missed it so badly that they didn't believe it when it happened. He showed up, and even though they had heard, even though they had seen the miraculous signs that accompanied his birth and his ministry, even though they had seen thousands of people who were healed of illnesses, even though they saw people come forward from the graves, even though they heard the incredible testimony, still they missed the reality of the coming of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that things will be similar prior to His second coming. You see, the problem is that people will be so involved with their own lives that they say, if He's coming, why hasn't He come yet? Have you ever heard that? 
If he's coming, why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't he done it yet? Listen, for generations, all things are continuing as they have from the very beginning of creation, Scott. You're out of your mind. Nothing has ever changed. Where is the promise of his coming? When is he going to come back? I don't see anything that indicates that he's coming. So unaware, completely hypnotized by the routine and the minutiae of their daily lives, every single generation lives with the reality that it could happen at every single moment. Any moment now, listen friends, any moment, any moment, without a sign, without a warning, in a twinkling of an eye, The true believers who make up the real church will be snatched away quickly and instantly. They'll just be gone. All the Christians across the globe will be instantly gone. They will disappear without a trace. And that disappearing, friends, of believers will be the first event that triggers all of the signs and all of the events and judgments over the next seven years that are going to happen here on the earth, which the entire world will notice at the second advent of Jesus Christ. And they will know that the second advent is at hand. He's coming. Listen to me. After the church is gone, the entire world is going to see all the signs. After the church is gone, many of them are going to ignore them, and they're going to try to explain them away. And finally, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to return as the judge And he's going to return as the executioner. And he will judge all the unbelieving across the entire planet. And all of them, friends, will be cast into hell. And then he will establish his earthly kingdom for a thousand years. And he will reign in a kingdom of peace and of righteousness. And after that, the entire universe will literally implode. If you are like many people around the world today, and you're concerned about climate change and the effect that man-made global warming is having on the planet, I want you to know that that's nothing. Wait until you see what God does to the planet. Wait until you see what God does to this planet. The oceans and the fresh water, plant and animal life will be destroyed as the earth is pummeled by meteors or some such thing. The earth will be punished and it will be pummeled and there will be terrible sickness, there will be pestilence, there will be terrible, terrible slaughter of human life. And ultimately... There's going to be a violent and a horrific uncreation in which all of the elements, the very basic founding blocks of life will melt like wax in unimaginable heat. Do you think man is destroying the planet? You wait until the judgment of God hits the planet. Finally, after all of that, there's going to be a creation of a new heaven and a new earth where only believers will live in the presence of God forever and ever. And we don't know It's so important for you to understand this. We don't know when that sequence begins. We have no idea. No man knows the day. No man knows the hour. If they tell you that they do, they're lying. All that we can say is that it's imminent. Do you know what I mean when I say that? When I say that it's imminent, I mean that it's the next thing. It's the next thing that's going to happen from a religious standpoint. Do you understand? From a historical standpoint of religion, it is the next thing that is going to happen. It's the next step in the sequence, and it could happen at absolutely any moment. There are no other things which need to be accomplished before these events begin to happen. There will be no sign which will indicate the triggering of those events. Understand that. There's no sign that will let anybody know that it is about to happen. One day, it's just going to happen. Nobody will expect it. 
people who are not believers will turn and they will find that believers all around the world have instantly disappeared. All the believers across the entire globe will have just disappeared. And when that happens, those who remain will experience unimaginable terror. They will experience unimaginable fear. Holy Spirit will be gone and there will be nothing to restrain evil and it will run rampant. And there are no other signs. There's nothing else that has to happen in order for that to happen. The fear and the terror be indescribable. Do you know that the Bible teaches that people will actually die of fear? They will die of fear. Here one moment, gone the next. And interestingly, the New Testament at the same time warns us and encourages us with those things. Did you know that? At the same time, it warns us and it encourages us because there is just such a huge paradox. You see, the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ is both absolutely horrifying for the unbeliever and it is the blessed hope which brings great encouragement to the believer at the exact same time. If the first advent brought hope to humanity, the second advent brings hope and promise but only to those who believed in the first advent. Did you follow that? Those who find hope and promise in the second advent will only be the ones who believed Him at the first advent. If the finest gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were fitting gifts for the first advent, if they were gifts fit for a king, wouldn't you expect that he should receive gifts at the second advent when he comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords? What gifts do you think he would want when he comes next time? Do you think he wants gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Do you think he wants blanket and soup? Do you think that he wants AirPods and Xbox or gift certificates to some shopping mall somewhere? You see, I don't think that he's going to care for anything tangible. I don't think any tangible thing that you can give to him will be anything that appeals to him because he'll have no need for that. Jesus Christ, the conquering King, wants absolutely nothing that your earthly hands can give to him. But I think there are some costly gifts that you should consider. And so I'd like to make just a little bit of a shopping list for you if I could. Because I believe there are some things that he would like us to give him at the second advent. First of all, I think that he wants your eager anticipation that he's coming. Let that sink in for a minute. I think he wants your eager anticipation of his coming. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, Jesus said this, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole entire earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Lord is telling us here that you need to be on guard. That's his point. You need to be on guard. You need to be ready. You need to be alert. I think he wants you to be anticipating his second coming. He wants you to be anticipating his second arrival. Don't forget about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. It should be the first thing in the front of your minds at all times. Don't become so weighed down with the temporal things of this life that you stop looking forward to his coming, that you stop looking forward to his arrival. 
Don't be afraid to eagerly look forward to his coming. Don't be afraid to talk about it in, with your friends. Don't hide from it. Don't worry about it. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Be on guard and eagerly anticipate his coming. He is coming. It is sure to happen. It's going to happen. And you need to be ready for it. Just as the kings of the east were eagerly waiting for him to arrive in Bethlehem, friends, so should the church of Jesus Christ live in anticipation of his coming in the air. You should be living in anticipation of that. Live your lives in the realization that the Lord Jesus Christ could come at any moment without notice. He won't consult anyone. He will show up. He could be here any second. Don't look for signs. Just know that everything that needs to happen before His coming has already happened. It's the next thing that is going to happen. And the next thing that is going to happen is that all of those who believe in Him will be instantly, suddenly, and violently snatched away. They will be free of the earth. They will be free of their physical bodies. And I want you to know that the only way for you to avoid the terror of the second coming is to be part of the group that he snatches away before it happens. That's the only way that you can avoid the terror of the second coming. Have your hearts right. Be prepared. Be ready to go. Make sure you're living as though he could return at any moment. Make sure that you're living in anticipation of His coming. Stay alert. Don't become so satisfied, friends, to celebrate the first advent that you ignore the promise of the second advent. That is where we live. Did you know that? We're so busy focusing on the first advent that we forget that He's coming again. You have to be alert. It's going to happen at a time that no one expects, He says. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, Jesus said this, Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Think about that for a moment. What thief would ever call ahead and say, Hey, Aaron, I just want you to know that I'm planning to come and break into your house around 1145. I'll try to make it as quick as possible. In fact, if all goes well, I'll be out the door by 12.30. I just thought you should know. No thief does that. You see, if he did, the police officers would be waiting for him. And when he came in the house, he'd be captured, wouldn't he? But you see, listen to me. You never know when the thief is coming. And you don't know when Jesus Christ is coming either. And he's going to come just like that thief. You never expect him. You never think, you know, I thought a thief might come. I thought he'd be here soon. It doesn't happen that way. You never know when the thief is coming, and you don't know when Jesus Christ is coming. Now look at verse 44. Therefore, Jesus said, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. You have no idea. You just need to be aware. You need to be alert. You don't know when he's coming. And then the word goes on to say in verses 44 and 45, Blessed is the one who is faithfully doing the work that the Father has given him when he arrives. Do you see? Blessed is the one who is doing the work of the Father when Jesus Christ arrives. Blessed is the one who is faithful in his service. Friends, as believers, we should be faithfully doing the work that God has given us to do while we wait for him to 
return. We must be busy about his business. We must be doing the tasks that he has assigned to us. We must be about the Father's business. Do you understand? We must conduct ourselves in a way that demonstrates that we expect him to return at any moment. Our behavior should reflect that of servants who expect their master to walk through the door at any time now. We're expecting him. The fact that we expect him leads us to our second gift that we should put on our shopping lists. Because if you expect him to come, if you're living in anticipation of his arrival, wouldn't you then be living lifestyles of spiritual purity? Wouldn't you? That's the point. Live in a way that is spiritually pure. I want to take you back now to Luke 21, and I want to show you something really significant in verse 34. Now, one facet of Greek verbs is what we call mood, and it's important for us to understand this. There is the use in Luke 21 of what is known as the subjunctive mood, and I've spoken to some of you about this. One purpose of the subjunctive mood is to show condition. It is a mood of condition. Now, you're going to see that in verse 34 here, so I want to show that to you. Take a look. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Now here it is. Jesus is speaking conditionally here. That's the subjunctive. He's saying, if you get weighed down with drunkenness and foolishness and the things of this world, then you will get caught off guard. Do you see? If you are doing this, then that is going to happen to you. If you get weighed down with the things of this world, you can be sure that you are going to be caught off guard. That's the condition. If you wait, if you dissipate, if you are drunken, if you are weighed down with the things of this world, be sure you will be caught off guard. He's saying keep your lifestyles pure. Keep yourselves pure so that you aren't one of those who are unprepared. That's the point of the passage. Make sure that you're ready. So the very first gift that we should give to the king at his second advent is the anticipation of his coming. The second gift that we should give him is a purity of life. It means, as we have said in Ephesians, listen, that your practice must match your position. Do you understand? You must behave as people who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our behavior matches what we say we believe. We're not phonies. We're not frauds. We say that we believe it and we act like we believe it. When he shows up, our hearts are excited to see him and we're not too attached to this world. I want you to consider this for a moment. Can I just ask you, can you say truthfully that you're excited? Can you truthfully say that you're looking forward to seeing him? Can you really say that? Or is your heart attached to the things of this world so tightly that you're not quite ready for him to come yet. Ah, I really, Scott, believe me, I really do want him to come, but I've never experienced the joy of having a driver's license. Scott, I really want him to come, but I have never experienced the joy of being married. I've never experienced the joy of having children. I want him to come, just not quite yet. Friends, is your heart too attached to this world to walk away? Wouldn't that be a shame? Wouldn't it be a shame if he were to show up and you didn't want to leave? We don't want the Lord to return at a time when we're living lives that are burdened under the weight of sin. We don't want the Lord to show up at a time when we're so anxious and hungry for the world that we can't walk away. Now let me show you a third gift that's fitting for the coming King. The Bible very clearly tells us in the book of Revelation that even in the middle of all the terrible judgment, do you know that God is merciful? Even in the middle of all the judgment, God is still merciful. Even during that time, 
He will fill the earth with powerful preaching so that even in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all the judgment, that people can still come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Lord doesn't ultimately come to judge and set up His kingdom until the gospel has been preached to the ends of the earth. We know that. But the truth of the matter is that the entire world is going to be universally judged. Nothing will escape His judgment. And this universal judgment should fill your hearts with fear and with compassion for those people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ and who are going to die and face eternity in hell. Because no one's going to escape His judgment. As believers, our hearts should be filled with compassion toward those people who are around us who are dying in sin. Even Jesus Himself wept over a sinful city of Jerusalem. Listen to me, I want you to know that God does not find any pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not find any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Judgment is not God's favorite responsibility, but He will will carry it out. Every sinner will fall under the final wrath of God. And one thing that everyone in this room should want is for the Lord to receive from us a gift when He returns of a life that has been consumed with sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ with those people who are lost and dying. We should be constantly occupied. We should be constantly occupied with evangelizing, with sharing the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Friends, and I think the church as a whole is really losing its passion for this. Do you know that? I think the church is losing its passion for this. Let me tell you what I mean. Right now, there is a tendency in evangelical churches, listen closely, to affirm that everybody who believes anything about God or anything about Jesus Christ is a Christian. Some will even teach that people who don't believe in Jesus or the God of the Bible, some will teach that people who worship God in their own way are still going to heaven. We teach a feel-good universal gospel, and it says that anyone who is sorry for the mess that their sin has gotten them into is going to be just fine. As long as you're sorry for that, God is so forgiven that even though you continue to live a rebellious life of sin, you are still going to be okay. You're going to heaven. Your reward may not be great, but you're going to go there anyway. You currently have that trend right now in the teaching of churches across the United States and across the world, to reclassify everybody with any kind of religious perspective, to reclassify everybody with any warm feeling about God as someone who's going to heaven. We lie to people and we tell them that anyone, regardless of the depth of his sin, if he has ever had a nice thought, if he has ever had a warm feeling about God, if he's ever had a nice thing to say about God, if his good outweighs his bad, he is ultimately going to be saved. And you're going to see your loved one in heaven regardless of what he has actually believed, regardless of what his lifestyle has borne out about his belief in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know there's another unfortunate thing that's happening in evangelicalism. And that's the idea. This is so important. I want you to hear this. That's the idea that the whole purpose for which God and Jesus exists, the whole purpose for which the church exists is to make everyone comfortable. Did you hear that? We don't want you to sacrifice anything. You should never feel any sickness. You should never feel any pain at all. Many modern preachers, friend, want to stare directly into the TV camera and they want to give you a feel-good message that desensitizes you to the reality of your sin. 
He wants to tell you that you're okay and that all of your dreams are going to come true. Everything is going to be great for you. He wants you to think that in God, all of your dreams, all of your desires, everything that you have ever wanted is going to be fulfilled. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants to energize you. He wants to play on your emotion. And he wants to give you a sense of euphoria without stretching you spiritually, without forcing you to grow. Without trimming you, without pruning you, he just wants you to feel elated and happy every time you've heard him speak. He wants you to be supremely comfortable. He wants you to feel happy and joyous every time you hear the Word of God. No discomfort, no pruning, no stretching, no teaching, no sacrifice. Listen, just keep coming to church. And maybe if you don't feel like coming to church, you can just... Watch the podcast from the comfort of your own home. No need to gather together as the Bible says you should do. Be comfortable. Stay in your pajamas. Just keep sending your money. Friends, that is not the call of the church of Jesus Christ. The work of the church in this present world is not to live as comfortably as possible. That's not what he has called us for. What does he say? Take up your pajamas and take it easy, man. Life is going to be good now. You've had warm, fuzzy feelings about me. It's all going to be okay. No suffering, no struggle, no pain. Friends, take up your cross. That is the call of the church. It's a call to sacrifice. And the church in this present world does not like to hear that. It wants to live as comfortably as possible. But to live holy lives, to make the message believable is what God has called us to do. You need to live holy lives that the message might be believable to those who don't understand the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ. You need to preach the message in good times and bad times and make whatever sacrifice you need to make to help a those purposes. That's the idea. What's the real point? I mean, what really is the point of what we're doing in this world if it's not to be the means by which God gathers sinners to himself? Why are you a believer? Why are you a believer if it's not to bring your family to faith in Jesus Christ so that they don't face the horror and the terror of the second coming? Make whatever sacrifice it takes at the second advent Christ is going to judge and He is going to condemn all who are not true believers. Do you understand that? He's going to judge all of those around you who are not true believers, friends. That should frighten you for your unsaved family. You should be horrified for your unsaved friends. You should be frightened for all of those that you love who don't know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. And your hearts need to be filled with compassion for them. That your greatest joy might be finding them coming to salvation. That they might be saved from the terror that is to come. Where's your compassion? Is there passion in your hearts to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you have a passion in your hearts to share the word that people may repent and be saved and avoid the judgment of God before it's too late? Is there a passion in your heart for that? Or are you content to celebrate the first advent? Opening your presents singing your dorky songs. At the second advent, the only people who will escape the judgment are believers. Let that sink in. The only people who are going to escape judgment are believers. What compassion do you have in your hearts over that? Is your heart broken for that? The first time he came, he came as a little bundle of joy in Bethlehem. Wise men from the east followed the sign of a a big star that they couldn't miss. He brought them to his manger, and those wise men brought gifts that were fitting of royalty. 
costly gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to know that history has never disputed the existence of Jesus Christ. The history of the world, in fact, if you think about it, is divided at the point of His first advent. We set our calendars around the day that He penetrated the historical timeline. The entire world is historically dependent on the birth of Jesus Christ, the first advent of Jesus Christ. History is going to be divided again at His second coming. Do you understand that? There's going to be a new calendar. There's going to be a new timeline because the star and the sun and the moon and all of those things won't exist as they do now. You understand? There's going to be a new calendar and it will start where Jesus penetrates the historical timeline once again. He will not come as a peaceful baby. People are gathered around singing Silent Night, feeling warm and fuzzy in their hearts. He's going to come as King of Kings. He's going to come as Lord of Lords. Do you understand that? He's going to come as the great conqueror. He's going to come as the great judge. And friends, the gifts that you give to Him in His second advent should be fitting of His exalted position. Anticipation, purity, and your evangelizing. Those are the gifts that you should give to Him. I don't know, maybe it seems odd to you that this morning we're talking about the second coming. But can I just tell you, it's so important, the very point of His first advent the very point of the Christmas celebration is to prepare you for the second advent. Do you see? The reason we celebrate Christmas is so that you have a hope to celebrate His second coming. That's why we celebrate Christmas. The reason that He came as a baby in the manger was that He might die as a Savior on the cross and that He might return as the victorious judge, the King of kings and the Lord of lords in the sky. That's the point. That's why we celebrate the first advent this week. And the only people who are going to have the joy of joining Him at His second advent, listen closely, the only people will be those who have believed in Him and served Him at His first advent. As a cuddly little baby, in a manger. Do you get that? Father, we thank You so much for the tremendous truth of Your second coming. We thank You so much, Lord, for the joyous truth of Your second advent. God, let us never again, for as long as the people in this room will live, let us never again think of the manger in Bethlehem and the baby wrapped in those cloths without thinking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords in His glory, the one who will come as the Almighty Judge. Let us never think of the baby without thinking of the righteous Judge. Let us never forget that that baby is now the reigning King and the conqueror because God, there's no point in knowing only the beginning of the story and not the end of it. Let our view of the first coming of tiny little Jesus in a manger from this day forward always be a sharp reminder of the powerful and authoritative King who will return anytime. And Lord, we thank You that You've told us not only the beginning of the story, but that You've also told us the end. 
And I pray, Lord, that every heart in this room would be prepared for your return today. That if you were to come the moment we walk out this door, that their hearts would be prepared and that they would go and that they would miss the horror and the terror of the judgment. Prepare us all, God, to give you the gifts that you deserve when you arrive. I pray, Lord, that you would give us peace and rest and that there would be a sense of joy as we prepare for the celebration of your first coming this week. And let it be a season, God, of happiness and gladness. We pray these things in Jesus' name.